Reacting to the world's best science. The Naked Scientist Newsflash. Hello, welcome to the Naked Scientist Newsflash, where we take a weekly look at what's hot in the world of science. This week's episode is brought to you by Helen Scales, and I'm Ben Valsler. Coming up, we'll hear about how Mother of Pearl has inspired a tough new breed of ceramics. Now, essentially, Mother of Pearl is made from calcium carbonate, which in itself doesn't necessarily seem to be all that remarkable. But it's the arrangement of very strong but brittle layers of calcium carbonate interspersed with slippery organic layers that act like a lubricant and ultimately makes Nacre three times as tough as just normal calcium carbonate. We'll uncover a signal that links food to body fat, find out why a fraction of a dose of vaccine could prevent an epidemic, and how sea turtles are much more successful when laying eggs on pristine beaches. Both the magnificent loggerhead turtles and for green turtles, there are on average of around 12 to 16% more eggs hatching on undisturbed beaches compared to those on beaches with human developments on them. That's all on the way. I shall start with news this week that scientists have unveiled a brand new material that was inspired by nature and is thought to be the toughest, strongest ceramic type material that has ever been made. Now, this new invention was announced this week in the journal Science by Robert Ritchie and his colleagues from the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory in California in the US. And their inspiration came from Mother of Pearl, which is also known as Nacre. It's the iridescent, shiny stuff that you find on the inside of seashells. And it's also the same stuff that pearls are made from. Now, essentially, Mother of Pearl is made from calcium carbonate, which in itself doesn't necessarily seem to be all that remarkable. But it's the arrangement of very strong but brittle layers of calcium carbonate interspersed with slippery organic layers that make the lubricant, that, that act like a lubricant, and ultimately makes Nacre, um, or Mother of Pearl, three times as tough um, as just normal calcium carbonate. Now, these layers are also the key to the beautiful luster of Mother of Pearl. I understand as well that the layers of calcium carbonate are also responsible for what gives it that colour. It's actually a nano effect, it's structural colour. And if you were to grind it all up, you wouldn't see that lovely shine on it because it's the interaction between those layers that gives you that colour. Exactly, it's all about structure. It's a similar sort of things go on in butterfly wings, actually. And so it's all, it's, it's absolutely about how that material is put together. And it's, so we've known for a long time, scientists have known, that this is the secret to not only this, the beauty of, of Mother of Pearl, but it's incredibly tough nature. But until now, no one's actually been able to artificially recreate that material, um, except just in very thin sheets of material. But um, now uh, Richie and his colleagues have put together really quite large lumps of it in sort of a few centimetres uh, cubed. And it's not actually made from um, calcium carbonate, um, but from a mixture of aluminium oxide and plain old water. And by mixing these two together, then very carefully and specifically freezing the mixture, the researchers have been able to encourage the aluminium oxide to form sheets um, and then by freeze drying the mixture that actually gets rid of the water leaving this sort of scaffolding if you like of the aluminium oxide in these very particular layers and very very tiny tiny structures um, and then in between that they add a polymer which acts as this sort of lubricant that the organic material the proteins do um, in real mother of pearl in the wild um, and this allowed Richie and his team to mimic these same interspersed layers that are found in real mother of pearl um, and uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's this incredibly tough material that essentially, um, if a crack starts to form, it doesn't get any bigger. It's really quite incredible stuff. Um, and the team think that they could get even better, even stronger, tougher ceramics in the future by making the structures even finer and making them even more closely mimic natural mother of pearl. 
Fantastic. Well, something that stops a crack sounds a bit like rip-stop nylon to me, but I'm guessing this is somewhat more impressive, and you probably couldn't make hiking trousers out of it. Uh, not at the moment, but you never know. All sorts of applications, I'm sure, are already in the pipeline for this stuff. Ceramic hiking trousers just around the corner. Now, scientists have found another chemical involved in obesity. Now, this is one that could hold promise for preventing diabetes. Writing in the journal Cell Metabolism, the researchers, and there is quite a lot of them, so I'm sorry to not mention you by name, there's some from the Louisiana State University, some from the University of Alabama at Birmingham, some from Columbia University Medical Centre and someone from Cambridge University here in the UK. Um, They've identified the role of a protein called adropin, which plays a very important role in digestion. It regulates a group of genes which affect how energy is stored. Now that includes the production of lipids or fats from the carbohydrates that we eat. So by affecting the storage, it affects how much fat we actually lay down for the energy that we take in. Adropin is coded for by a gene called energy homeostasis associated, also known as NHO. And this gene is expressed in the liver and it's also expressed in the brain. Now, expression of the gene itself is regulated by the amount of fat in our diet. We know this because mice on a very high fat diet showed a very rapid increase in adropin, while mice who were given a very, very low fat diet, a fasting diet in fact, showed a reduction in the amount of adropin. Now, this actually makes adropin one of the very first factors shown to be directly related to the amount of fat in our diet. And there is actually a further twist in the tale. Obese mice, whether they're obese from their diet, so a high-fat diet, as I mentioned before, or from genetics, don't produce adropin normally. But if you take a mouse who's already obese and you give them extra adropin, they show less fat in their livers and they respond better to insulin. Now, these obese mice do eventually lose their weight again and go down to a normal weight range, but the benefits, such as the reduced liver fat, can actually be seen a long time before that weight is lost. As the gene for adropin is expressed in both the liver and the brain, it could well have some effect on the brain that we don't yet understand. So this means that we can't just try and tweak this gene straight away. It's not a silver bullet for obesity. It's certainly not a quick fix for obesity or for fatty liver. However, as it seems to be instrumental in the homeostasis of glucose and lipids, this relationship between the energy in our food and the fat that we lay down, it's certainly a candidate for further research. It's, it's certainly, we're understanding more about it, isn't it? And that's fantastic. I have to say, whenever we talk about these kind of studies, I've got this, this kind of slightly comic picture in my head of little chubby mice <laughs> in the laboratory and uh, sort of waddling around and so on. But well, anyway. Actually, if you go onto our website at thenakedscientist.com, there is a picture of an enormously obese mouse right next to a normal weight range mouse. And it's shocking, it's sort of three times the size. But these mice are essential for studying obesity and for our understanding of how this really huge health problem is actually affected. No, it's very important indeed. Now back into the marine world once more, my favourite place of course, with a story this week that has provided the first robust evidence that sea turtles are more successful at producing young when females lay their eggs on beaches that are untouched by human hand. Now that's according to David Pike from the University of Sydney in Australia who published his study this week in the journal Biology Letters. Now it, they may spend the majority of their lives in the ocean but female sea turtles are tied to the land and they have to haul themselves out on beaches to lay their eggs in the sand. But what Pike did was he hunted through hundreds of other studies 
that have been published by people who have gone out and counted how many turtle eggs hatch on different types of beach. Both those where people are present, where there's coastal developments, things like hotels and resorts, and other beaches where there's really no permanent human presence at all. And what he found was maybe not that much of a surprise. For both the magnificent loggerhead turtles and for green turtles, there are on average of around 12 to 16% more eggs hatching on undisturbed beaches compared to those on beaches with human developments on them. But how can he actually know this? How can he see how many eggs are hatching without being the disturbance on the beach. It's a, it's a really good point, and um, this particular paper doesn't go into all the methods because he's really just surveying the literature that's already out there. But I can only imagine that the sort of studies these are might involve people, because obviously researchers are very sensitive to these things. They don't just go digging up eggs and sort of causing trouble. They, it may be a case of actually very carefully watching while the females come onto the beach, perhaps actually counting the eggs as they're laid, because you can do that. I mean, you can, you can see them digging out the big pits um, in the sand, laying their eggs in it, and then making sure that they're around at the time when the eggs hatch and counting how many of little baby turtles, which are so cute. I have seen them in the wild and they're wonderful, um, crawling back down the beach. So that, that might be a kind of non-invasive way of doing that. But you're right, this is something that, that scientists have to bear in mind and they don't can't blunder in there and, and do this kind of thing that, that could be vaguely destructive. Um, but uh, that 12 to 16% might not sound an awful lot, um, but it is likely to be important for um, make an important difference for turtles because they faced a host of different threats in 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 the wild. That's things like being accidentally caught in the sea in trawling nets because um, they get stuck in those and drowned. Um, and turtles often mistake plastic bags for one of their favourite food, which are jellyfish, which can cause all sorts of trouble and clog up their insides. It's not exactly clear why this hatching success rate is so much lower on developed beaches um, compared to the untouched ones, but it's likely to be a combination of factors, um, including when they're laid and during the incubation period, things like trampling and physical disturbance by those tourists, perhaps, um, and various forms of pollution but I think bottom line is this study shows just how crucial it is for us to protect those nesting beaches that aren't actually disturbed yet by coastal developments and we really need to be protecting those areas because that's where the turtles are really having lots of babies and it's the young turtles which really will determine the future of these wonderful species. Well, that's very interesting. I hope that uh, the scientists don't disturb them too much, but I'm sure they're far less disturbing than a massive hotel complex on the beach. But now, really interesting research that shows that actually a lower dose of vaccine could help to stop an epidemic. Now, when an epidemic does loom, governments should logically stockpile vaccines against it. That is a no-brainer. But if you have very little warning about the vaccine, or if it's very expensive, or if it takes a long time to develop, then you really have to look at alternatives. Research published in the Public Library of Science Neglected Tropical Diseases Journal suggests that a mere fraction of a vaccine may give enough short-term immunity to stop an epidemic in its tracks. Now, looking at meningitis outbreaks in sub-Saharan Africa, Philippe Guerin and colleagues from institutions in Norway, Uganda and Manchester looked at the immune response of 750 healthy volunteers when when they were given either a full dose of meningitis vaccine, one-fifth of a dose or just one-tenth of a dose. They measured immune response by looking at something called serum bactericidal activity, which does exactly what it says on the tin, really. It's a measure of how effective a blood sample is at killing bacteria. So they took samples immediately before and then four weeks after they vaccinated and they tested them against 
four serotypes, these are subgroups of meningitis, called A, C, Y, and W135, all very easy to remember names there. So how did the partial doses fare against a full dose? Of the four serogroups, a tenth dose of vaccine was just as good as a full dose for types Y and 135, so that could go ten times as far. One-fifth of the vaccine dose was enough for group A, but unfortunately only the full vaccine dose gave an adequate serum bactericidal activity for group C. Now, clearly we shouldn't be stretching our resources beyond our limits, but in times of emergency, controlling the vaccine dose in this way could allow us to protect many more people in the time available, and it could be what we need to stop an epidemic before it gets too bad. Sounds like that could be very good news indeed. Read the references and find out the facts. All our programmes are archived in text and audio on our website at nakedscientist.com. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks very much for listening. This Naked Scientist Newsflash featured Helen Scales and was produced by me, Ben Valsler. If you've enjoyed the Newsflash, why not try out the weekly Naked Scientists podcast featuring news, interviews with top scientists, your questions and a kitchen science experiment for you to try out at home. We'll be back with another roundup of top science next week. The Naked Scientist Newsflash, reacting to the world's best science. For more information, look us up online at nakedscientists.com.